Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Master Your Mix podcast. I'm Mike and Davina. Thank you so much for joining me here. Before we get into the bulk of today's episode, I just very quickly want to mention that if you're a regular subscriber and you've been paying attention, you probably would have noticed that the last couple weeks I didn't have a new episode up, and I just wanted to apologize for that. The past couple weeks I've been headfirst just working away on a brand new mixing course for you guys. It's quite intense. I've been working on it for almost about a year now, and it's going to cover a lot of ground regarding mixing, especially for rock music. So it's going to cover stuff such as the mixing mindset, the various tools, so EQ, compression, panning, effects, saturation, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I talk about setting up your listening environment. I share my entire workflow from beginning to end for every mix so that you can translate it to your own mixes. I walk through every single step along the way. We talk about organization, routing, getting your rough balance, setting up effects templates. Uh, I walk you through an entire mix from start to finish. So we cover every single track in the mix. So, you know, all of the drum tracks or bass or guitars or vocals or backup vocals, automation, all that kind of stuff. It's a really detailed course. I haven't found anything else on the market that goes into quite as much detail about all of these different topics all in one course. And uh, I think you guys are going to learn a ton from it when I release it. So keep an eye out for that. Hopefully I'll have it out soon. And leading up to it, I'm also going to be doing a free mixing workshop for about a week on my website, and that's going to have a whole bunch of other great information on there that you're going to find really useful. So again, just keep an eye out for that in your inbox, and if you're not subscribed to my mailing list, please make sure to do that. Go to the website, masteryourmix.com. Just click at the top of the page. There's a link to download your free copy of the Ultimate Mixing Blueprint, which if you're not familiar with that, it's a guide to show you how to use EQ and compression on a variety of different instruments in your mixes. I show you all the different frequencies that you want to pay attention to uh, all the different characteristics of sound that you'll find so just sign up to download that for free you'll automatically be added to my mailing list and once you're on that every week I'll send you a brand new video tutorial or tips and tricks to try within your own mixes and that's all free so just go to the website sign up for the ultimate mixing blueprint and you'll get all of that stuff for free So getting back to the podcast release schedule, I'm going to try to keep things as regular as I can. I'm hoping to still continue to put out new episodes once a week or once every two weeks. Uh, I've already got a lot of great interviews lined up, so I can't wait to get those recorded. And as soon as I've got those done, you'll be the first to know about them. I'm going to upload them as fast as I can because I want you guys to really learn a lot from these episodes. And I hope that you're finding a lot of great value in them. So moving on to the content of this week's episode, I'm taking subscriber-submitted questions. I've had quite a few come in and wanted to address a bunch of them in the podcast. And as always, if you have any questions that you'd like to have me answer on the show, feel free to email me. My email address is questions at masteryourmix.com. Just make the subject line podcast question, and then I'll know what to look out for. So moving on to the questions, our first question this week comes from Chris. And he says, hey Mike, I'm just curious what your take is on double-tracking vocals and how you know whether or not you should do it. Well, Chris, thanks for the question, first and foremost. And secondly, the answer is really simple. You just got to try it out and see if it works and if it sounds good. To me, though, the bigger question, there's two questions. The first is, should you double-track vocals? And can you double-track vocals? And I think that those are two very different things. So in terms of should you double-track vocals, 
Well, you really need to take a look at the song and analyze kind of the intention of it and the emotion of it. And is a double vocal actually going to support the song or is it going to hinder it? So say, for example, you have an acoustic song and it's just a really slow ballad song. Well, if you have a lot of gang vocals and you have doubles on the vocals, it's likely not going to sound very good, especially if you have very personal lyrics. So let's say it's a, a song about heartbreak or something like that. To me, the idea of having gangs of people singing, it just doesn't feel very intimate. It doesn't feel very personal anymore, right? I, to me, if you have one voice telling a story from the heart, that has way more impact than if you have doubles and it, all of a sudden the mix sounds wider. To me, it's all about the lyrical content and the emotion of the song. So that's the first question I would ask is, is this going to really benefit the song and serve the purpose of the song? Now, moving on to can you double track vocals? Well, yeah, of course you can double track vocals, but the first thing I like to do is whenever I'm tracking a singer, I always get them to run through the song a couple times as I'm getting levels, and I pay really close attention to how they deliver the song. So do they sing it every time with the same timing and the same notes, or do you get singers that are very loose with their timing and they don't quite sing it the same every time, or maybe they have different inflections on certain words? Because if you find that you have someone that changes it up every single time, and they can't repeat themselves, then it's going to be really hard to double track your vocal and you're going to find it really difficult. So in that case, you're better off using like a delay plugin or the Waves ADT plugin to create that doubled effect. But if you have someone that's really well prepared and they're very consistent and they deliver the same performance every single time, then by all means, try it out and see if the double track works for it, you know, and if it sounds good, then keep it. If it doesn't, then scrap it, right? But you don't want to force your singers to sing it over and over and over again, trying to match up every single word, right? So that's why I said pay close attention to how the singer delivers it and see where you're at in the session too. If you have a singer that's really burnt out and they just spent 30 different takes trying to get that perfect one, well, chances are they're probably not going to be able to accurately duplicate it on the 31st take. So in that case there, don't overdo it. Don't push them too hard because realistically, the more you push them, the further away you're going to get from getting what you're looking for. So Chris, I hope that answer helps. Our next question comes from Cyrus, and he says, Hey Mike, I recently started working on a mix that uses stereo stems. I've decided that I want to give the song a little bit more movement and was hoping to use some sidechain on the bass guitar and sidechain it to the kick. The problem is that since I only have stereo drums, how can I do it without all of the other drums mistriggering the sidechain? Thanks for the question, Cyrus. This is a bit of a tricky situation. Um, there's a few different solutions that you could do for it. The first one would be the obvious, which would be talk to the artist or the producer and see if you can get the individual drum tracks. If they have a stem, chances are they made that from a bunch of individual tracks. So if you can do that, then that's the most ideal situation. The next situation would be to get creative with EQ. So one thing that you might want to try is try duplicating your drum stems. And then on the duplicate channel, use a filter, get like a low pass filter, and low pass it all the way to maybe about, I don't know, maybe 80 hertz, 90 hertz, somewhere around there, so that all you have is low end and then use that to send to your sidechain. So when you do it this way, you're basically just preserving all of the low end information. And if you're just trying to use your kick to trigger your sidechain, that's gonna be within that range up to 90 Hertz or so. You might even want to use a bell filter and boost a little bit of EQ around the fundamental frequency of the kick. 
so that that way you're really accenting the kick hits and using that to trigger your sidechain. Because, yeah, you could have some low toms ringing in the stem as well, and some of that might mistrigger your, your sidechain, but if you at least use EQ to really pinpoint the frequency of the kick drum, then that will help put you in a bit of a better direction. Now, this isn't going to be 100% flawless. You might have to just really pay attention to how your sidechain's reacting to things, um, but it's just one way that I could suggest that might be a little creative and might get you the results you're after. I've actually done something pretty similar to this in the past where I did a session that had stereo drums that were recorded on a V-drum set and the drum sounds were awful and I couldn't, I, I didn't want to use them in the context of the mix because they sounded awful. So I had to get really creative with it with my drum triggering. So what I did in this case was I actually low pass filtered and uh, boosted the frequencies for the kick and then I did one where I band passed the snare and then I band passed the toms. And basically I ran each of those different filtered stems through Steven Slate Trigger and used them to trigger new drum sounds. And it actually sounded pretty good. It worked quite well and I was able to salvage the session and make it work. So I know that this way is possible, um, but you will get the occasional missed trigger. So you just have to be mindful of that and uh, make sure that that's not going to ruin your bass tracks and ruin the movement that you're looking for. The third way I would recommend is more time consuming, and that would be to actually input some samples into your mix. So start up another track and just simply find every single kick hit in your stems and put a sample on another track exactly where the kick hits would line up. Now this isn't ideal, I'm sure, but um, definitely one way that you can create your own kick stems and make sure that that's triggering your sidechain the way you want it. So I hope that helps. Our last question comes from Daniel, and he says, Hey Mike, I'm currently in my first year of audio college, and I'm just thinking ahead to when I graduate. My main concern is that at the end of the program, I'm going to be graduating with a ton of other people who are all trying to get the same jobs. Is there anything that you could recommend that I do now in order to help establish myself so that I have an edge over the others? Well, first off, thanks for the question. And also, you definitely have the right attitude going into this. The fact that you're even thinking ahead is really good because I think there's so many people that go to college and just waste it. They, you know, they just go there to hang out and maybe use the studio and then they just drink a lot and smoke a lot of pot and don't really care about their grades or anything like that. So the fact that you care already kind of positions yourself a little bit further than everyone else. So that's definitely a good position to be in. But in terms of what you can do to establish yourself now, I mean, just really work hard. Really make yourself known as the guy who wants to work at a studio. Like, work your ass off. Be in the studio all the time. Like, I don't know how your school works and if you have extra studio time where you get your own sessions. I know that when I was in college, we had three-hour blocks and, uh, you know, you'd get studio time once or twice a week. But what I would do is I would just become really good friends with everyone in the class and just get in on their sessions. So even if I wasn't doing anything, I would just be in the studio watching people work and learning from their mistakes and learning new tricks from them and really just immersing myself in it and really mastering the tools. And that was probably one of the best ways that I could network. And, and actually, I got a lot of great gigs as a result of networking in my program. So 
even people that didn't go on to be engineers were hooking me up with work afterwards. Like I remember one of my first big gigs after I graduated was working for a band on Sony and I was doing some live sound for them. And that happened as a result of getting to know somebody in my course who ended up working at a management company. And he thought of me when the band needed to go on the road. He, he was like, Mike, I know you're really good in the studio. So do you want to give it a shot doing live sound? Like you should be able to do that, right? So it's just, you really have to make a lot of connections and work really hard and get to know people and also really make good friends with your professors and your teachers because chances are if they're teaching at an audio college, then that means that they have some experience in the field and they most likely know people in studios that are going to be looking for interns come graduation time or even before graduation time. I know some people that have left college early because their teachers hooked them up with awesome work because they were really good students. So I mean, really make close friends with them and just hustle your ass off and make it really well known that you want to be working in the studio and just really immerse yourself and take advantage of every opportunity you can to be in the studio. And then on summer breaks or any other breaks that you get, just call up local studios and see if you can sit in on sessions and just volunteer and help them out. Even if it's making coffee, just sometimes being in the studio will really help to get you familiar with what's happening, how the studio operates and all that kind of stuff. And it just makes you, again, a familiar face that people can think of when you graduate and when you're ready to work. You know, if there's an opportunity there, they'll call you and they'll, they'll try to bring you back in. I know that it can be really hard to graduate, like depending on how big your school is, you could have hundreds of graduates and everybody's fighting for the same jobs, right? And I remember even my school, it had only 70 people in the program at the time. And I remember when I first applied to it, I was reading some brochures and they said something about 99% of last year's graduates got jobs. But what they didn't say was that only five out of the 99% actually got jobs working in the industry and that you know, the rest of them were working at McDonald's or something completely unrelated. So, you know, you have to really work hard to get the jobs that you want. And you can't just trust that being in school is going to get you the result you want. Really, at the end of the day, a diploma or certificate or whatever it is that you get means nothing at a studio. They want to know that you're going to work hard, you're going to be punctual, that they can trust you with the clients, and that the clients will trust you. And it's largely about the people skills to start off with, right? That's the way you're going to get into studios, is just by making yourself really known, by being seen as someone who's cool, who really wants to work hard, and is dedicated to it. So, yeah, just really... Immerse yourself really deep in the program, make yourself connected with everybody in the program, get to know your teachers, and really just keep hustling. That's really the best way to get ahead. So I hope that helps. That's it for this week's questions. I had a lot of fun answering them. And remember, if you have any questions that you'd like answered, feel free to send me an email at questions at masteryourmix.com. And while you're at it, if you haven't already downloaded the Ultimate Mixing Blueprint, visit masteryourmix.com. And at the top of the page, there's a link so that you can download your free copy. And then you'll have a great guide for helping you with using EQ and compression in your mixes. And other than that, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review and a rating on iTunes. That would be a really big help. Helps us get exposed to more people. And other than that, I'll talk to you in the next episode. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.